As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. The C.S. Lewis Podcast with Alistair McGrath. Well, hello and welcome. It's Justin Briley sitting down once again with Alistair McGrath to talk about C.S. Lewis. And there's so much to draw out from this wonderful Christian thinker from the 20th century who's given us so many books to enjoy for, well, years, decades probably centuries after he died in 1963. Um, We're going to be exploring today in this final episode of this season, looking at seven of his most influential Christian works, The Four Loves. Published in 1960, it was a a reflection on four types of love from C.S. Lewis, affection, friendship, eros and charity. And Alistair will be examining them and the concept of agape love as well, especially in today's episode. Uh, Thanks to the listener who left this review early on on the podcast saying, wow, one episode in and I'm hooked. Can't wait for the next one. I'm a huge C.S. Lewis fan in the USA. I'm an Episcopalian, so I love Lewis that Lewis was also an Anglican. And we don't necessarily have that many inspiring Anglican writers and speakers today, perhaps with the exception of N.T. Wright. Professor Alistair McGrath, though, shows enthusiasm and extensive knowledge about Lewis and keeps me engaged with the conversation. Ruth and Justin do a great job of asking the questions. I've subscribed and looking forward to more episodes. Well, you may not realise Alistair himself is, of course, ordained in the Anglican Church, so there's at least one more inspiring Anglican writer and speaker for you. But great to have your rating and review. You can add yours as well and help other people to discover the show. Uh, If you want more from the show, please do go to our new ministry website, premierunbelievable.com, where you can find out about our growing stable of other resources, videos and podcasts, including Unbelievable, Ask N.T. Write Anything, the Matters of Life and Death podcast, and a new podcast we're launching soon called Unapologetic, uh, where we're going to have some really fantastic apologetics thinkers joining us each month uh, for that new podcast. So check all those out at the website, premierunbelievable.com. And uh, yeah, we're very, very close now, just a week away from our unbelievable conference in London, live on Saturday the 14th of May from the British Library. But you can attend from anywhere in the world online. Our theme is God Unmuted, helping the church to find its authentic voice again. A wonderful lineup of speakers, including, of course, Alistair himself as a keynote speaker. If you'd like to be part of it, do go to unbelievable.live. We'd love to see you there. You can see all the ticket options, what you get when you uh, book in on a premium ticket, but equally the fact that you can pay a what-you-want price if you're coming online uh, this year. So unbelievable.live is the place to go. For now, let's get into today's show. Well, we've reached the the final episode in this particular season of the podcast, which has been looking chronologically at a number of Lewis's works. We began with Pilgrim's Regress, written in 1933, uh, and we've come right up to 1960 today, um, not long before Lewis himself passed away, of course, in 1963. The Four Loves is the book we're going to be looking at today 
Alistair. So um, was uh, I mean, for my benefit, was this almost the last book of this nature that Lewis published or was there anything post post this time before he passed away? Well, of course, um, he would publish um, uh, A Grief Observed, which came out a year later. Um, which is a, a very special book in its own, own right. Um, and of course, we also have um, other later works. But this one, this one stands out for me because it's, it's not just Lewis exploring for Christians some core Christian ideas. He's making applications. He's trying to help us to see how this works out in real life. And I particularly value that because I think it really shows Lewis is not simply someone who thinks, but someone who actually is trying to live out what he's talking about. Uh, as you said, in this period of his life, he was had sort of done the apologetics work, if you like, and he felt his calling obviously was to write things that really help Christians, as you say, to to live out the life of Christ and the life of the kingdom. Um, and to, to 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 that extent, what was he trying to do with the four loves? And obviously, we'll have to explain what what these four loves are and what was Lewis trying to to achieve by by kind of presenting these ideas to his audience well the four loves he's talking about he draws on classical greek literature he talks about um for example um affectionate love in greek storge or friendship in greek philia or romantic love eros or spiritual love agape and what he's trying to do is to figure out how all of these fit into the Christian way of thinking. So it's a work written for Christians, aimed to help them think things through and put them into action. And one of the questions he, he does explore in quite some detail is how we balance love for God and love for others. How can we, can we bring these together, hold them together? So it's a very interesting work. And the reason why I think it is so helpful is it's written with great clarity. It was originally, in fact, a series of uh, radio broadcasts back in 1958. But it's, it's obvious that the kind of way people really responded well to his analysis, which, of course, led him to write it up in the form of a book. So tell us about one or two of these particular manifestations of love, because Obviously, in, in the English language, we, we tend to just have one word that covers a whole range of meanings. Lewis, uh, you know, helpfully draws out the different ways in which love is expressed in the Greek words and so on. Um, for instance, affection. Um, and and you, you've said that was storge in the, the, the original Greek. What, what, what is that? And what, what's Lewis? Why is Lewis particularly finding this one an important form of love to tell his audience about? Well, I think, I think Lewis is saying we need to know about this. And, and for Lewis, um, affection is kind of way our relationship with other people, which is rooted in warmth and, and familiarity. And I think one of the points that Lewis is making is this is not competitive. It doesn't require... Um, it's not just saying you either have this or something else. It's just something you feel towards people. It doesn't require you to share uh, the same viewpoint as these people. It's just about, in effect, feeling good in their presence. Now, Lewis isn't really going to do anything very much with this particular kind of love, but he's trying to map it out both as a very interesting way of relating to people, you know, liking them, but it doesn't require that you are attracted to them and it doesn't require that you share the same interest or viewpoints. And that, of course, is very important because that distinguishes this from friendship. Tell us about that a little bit more then, because, um, you know, friend, friendship is often about something. Um, what, what does he mean by that? How does that work out 
in practice? Well, I think a good place to begin here is actually one of Lewis's most important early friendships, which, of course, is with Arthur Greaves. And back in April 1914, um, Lewis tells us about how he went to visit Arthur Greaves. Um, and, and they weren't friends at the time. And, and his family said, look, go, he's ill. Go and spend some time with him. So Lewis did with some reluctance, I have to say. And he found Greaves sitting up in bed, uh, reading, or at least having beside his bed, a book about myths of the Norsemen. In other words, um, you know, the great Nordic myths. And Lewis was astonished because he loved this stuff. And he said to uh, Greaves, do you like that? And of course, Greaves did and, and said, do you like it too? So suddenly they find they were soulmates. They had, a, they had an interest in common. And for Lewis, that's really what friendship is about. It's not just kind of way two people relating to each other, it's about having something of shared interest, which means they, they come together because that is what brings them together and their relationship develops, sure, but nevertheless, it's the shared interest that really is important. And so Lewis writes in The Four Loves, you know, friendship has to be about something, even if it's enthusiasm for, for dominoes or something like that. He's quite clear there's something that holds this together. It's not competitive in the sense that, you know, yes. if you're one friend who likes this, you don't object to having other friends who like this. In fact, the, the more friends, the better. And that's why, of course, this is so important practically because it leads directly into the Inklings. Yes. And, and we've obviously talked a little bit about the Inklings in previous episodes. But, but do you think that that sort of friendship group uh, where there was these shared interests and, you know, they would get down and, you know, and sh sh you know, over a pint, look at each other's writings and so on. That that perhaps, you know, fed into the way Lewis writes about friendship in The Four Loves. I'm sure it does. And I, I think it feds into it because it's so important for Lewis, because um, if you like, the two interests that held the Inklings together were a love of literature and a love of Christianity. So, in fact, those are the two agreed um, interests, if I can put it like that, that held the Inklings together. And I meant there was just a natural bond between these people and they were very interested in talking about literature and talking about Christianity and talking about people writing Christian literature in particular. And of course, Lewis found that enormously helpful. So if you like, Lewis did not have to say, oh, I, I'm really interested in literature and Christianity. Bear with me, be patient. Because his audience in the Inklings would say, well, we are too, so let's, let's talk about this. And that, in one sense, is why the Inklings were so successful. It was not just a professional body of critics. It was friends who respected each other and shared the same goals. So that's one of the reasons, I think, why um, the Inklings were so effective as a group of people. I mean, arguably, though, when you look at popular culture, Hollywood, pop songs, you know, if love is ever mentioned or sung about, it's always eros. It's always, you know, the romantic form of love. That seems, and perhaps that's because, you know, we feel the most strong passions when it comes to that sort of love, naturally. Um, and did, did Lewis sort of, was he bothered by the fact that, that if ever one particular form of love tended to get focused on it, it was eros at the expense possibly of these, these other forms of love? I think Lewis was very anxious that uh, in popular culture, the word love had kind of way become reduced to one particular kind of love, uh, eros, erotic love. And of course, Lewis knew that. I mean, uh, when he fell in love with Joy Davidman, there was eros there. But of course, 
Joy Davidman was also an editor. She wrote books. And so there was friendship as well. And Lewis makes a very interesting point here, which I think is well worth looking at, which is that um, uh, Eros is about an exclusive relationship between two people. But friendship, well, if it's between two people, great. But actually, you can easily add to that, become a group of people because you share the interest. Mm. And so that's mm. why Lewis says that friendship is the least jealous of loves. And in, in Joy Davidman, Lewis had both a friend and a lover. So that was very important for him, I think. But you're right that we, we do see this reduction of um, love to simply eros in many respects. And Lewis is trying to make the point that um, really we need something, a richer understanding of love. And that's why Lewis tries to disentangle these four different loves. So in effect, we can bring some sort of precision to talking about this and, of course, bring the love of God into this as well. I mean, sticking with Eros for a moment, my, my reflection on that is that I think Lewis re is really helpful here because in our culture, because Eros romantic love has been so sort of idolised, um, you know, no story has a happy ending unless you know the, the the man and the woman you know go off right into the sunset but the reality is for many people they may not be lucky in love you know the, the relationships you know go wrong and and so on and and if 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 being having a successful romantic relationship is the sort of mark of a successful life then a lot of people won't won't have that and sometimes we forget that actually no, you may have love in all kinds of other ways through family, through friends, even if the romantic side of your life never happened. You know, you may, it may just be that you were never, you know, met the person that was right or whatever in that sense. And, and it's a helpful reminder that that we we need love of its various forms. And, and Eros is but one. And sometimes, frankly, it can be fleeting, you know, even even couples i'm sure you're aware alistair who who have been married a long time you know the the nature of the romantic love they experience changes from those first few years and and so that's helpful i think to to, to remind us that this isn't the preeminent goal of life to have uh you know the, this mythical romantic relationship essentially well, i think that's right lewis is really inviting his readers to expand their understanding of what love is all about and lewis is not um saying look there are these four different loves and they are mutually exclusive they are i think better seen as four possibilities um which all of which are killed being actualized in the same individual person and i think that it is helpful because it means that i do not to say need to say to myself um i have a love for my family which is one kind i have a love for my friends which takes a different form uh, i have a love for my wife which takes another form and i have a love for god which takes another form i mean these are all part of a bigger picture and lewis is trying to invite us to think how we might hold these together how we might um, understand how these all uh, are woven together in our individual existences and how we actually do this of course one of the things i discovered in writing a biography of lewis is how actually um, he managed to hold these together in his own life particularly towards the end where you know basically he was able to bring these things together in in a way that actually worked quite well for him but it's a very practical question for christians because the issue is that very often we feel you know well if we love god we can't love anyone else you know, because, you know, if we love somebody else, or, you know, that means we don't love God as we ought to. And what Lewis is simply saying is, well, that, that's right about 
one kind of love, but there are other kinds of love. And it's not quite as straightforward because very often in English, the word love is, if you like, simplified to mean only one kind of love. And appreciating the different kinds of love actually enables us to love more effectively. Yes, it's it's funny. It's reminding me of a conversation I had around the dinner table with a six-year-old. We've got four children, like the youngest is six. And and he's at that stage where he's asking all these sorts of precocious questions about about life and, you know, love. And uh, and he was saying, you know, Daddy, if, uh, you know, I love God, but I love you and Mummy. So is it wrong if I love God more than you and Mummy? And I was, <laughs> I was trying to say, well... No, I mean, I, I suppose I was trying it in six-year-old terms, trying to explain that as far as I was concerned, all love ultimately comes from God. And so there's no competition. You don't sort of, you know, run out of love um, if you're giving it to, to, to p- different people and, and that you don't have to see it as somehow in competition, as you say, with with our love for God. And this sort of brings us on to that, that, that agape love. So t- tell us how Lewis sort of develops that whole idea of the kind of that spiritual, if you want to use that word, form of love that exists and, and how it inter- intermingles with these other forms of love. Well, Lewis clearly sees agape as um, really the most important kind of love if you are a Christian. And Lewis is trying to make the point that, um, yes, the other kinds of love can in- interfere with this because, in effect, we can allow a friendship or an uh, family relationship to in effect eclipse love for God but it doesn't need to be like that indeed once you get these things sorted out you can kind of way calibrate their relationships so in effect you love God and that is wonderful but that actually energizes the way which you relate to other people to your family to your friends and so on and so what Lewis is really trying to do is not say because you love God and you can't love anyone else He's saying because you love God, that brings a new clarity and motivation to other forms of love. And Lewis is using these four categories from um, the classical Greek period, not to bring us back to the ancient period, but rather to say this actually helps us to practically relate to others in this world without obliging us to give up on loving God as the greatest of all things. I mean, Christ summarized the commandments, you know, love God and love God your neighbor. And in other words, you know, you, these things are interconnected. And Lewis Anger is simply, if you like, laying out one way of thinking about this, which brings together four different types of love, but shows how they can be connected with each other in a non-competitive way. I mean, he, he actually, the, the word that he uses for agape in, in the English, in the book is charity. And that, I suppose, comes from the authorized version in which, you know, and the greatest of these you know, in a more modern version would be is love um, in the authorised version, charity, um, faith, hope and charity. But I, I, the problem for, for, for modern ears, and perhaps it was a bit of an issue when Lewis wrote it as well, is is we, we associate charity with, you know, sort of helping someone out, you know, giving to a, a, ch- a charitable organisation or something. And it doesn't even that word itself can sometimes not really do justice to, to what this word agape is about, which, as I understand it, is, is about that very sacrificial divine kind of love. It's 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 more than just helping someone out in that sense. I think Lewis here has struggled to find a word to designate this. And, and personally, I think that I can understand his choice of charity because um, in the authorized version, which, of course, is Lewis preferred version of the Bible. 
charity is the English word used to translate the Greek word agape. But it's not the best translation. And certainly today, the word charity, in effect, means, if I put like this, something which you do as a result of your love for God, which is to, to give money to those in need. And that, that's a very fair point. Uh, one of the things I've often thought as I've read The Four Loves is what English word should we use to um, <laughs> refer to this? And I can actually I can see why Lewis, in effect, ended up choosing charity, because mm. what other word is there? My own solution would simply be to use the Greek word and say, this is the word the New Testament uses to refer to this particular kind of love. But I can see why Lewis chose yes. to use an English word instead. But I think that, that for me, the key point is, is that... Um, uh, you walk away from reading the four loves, um, basically saying, if Lewis is right, then Christianity is about the transformation of our relationships. Our relationship with God is changed. And as a result of that, we see our friends, our uh, family and everyone else in a new way. But it does not oblige us to give up on these other loves because they're enfolded by this greater vision of love that we see in the New Testament. And, and as I read the New Testament, actually, I can see what Lewis is getting at. You know, in effect, they're all there in the New Testament. There's example of friendship, of um, um, sort of the familial type of love, and of course, the erotic kind of love. But above all, the love of God, which is seen as giving a new perspective and energy to each of these kinds of loving. So I think it's, it's a very practical book. and I think it's, it's a very good book to reflect on. And, and a great book to end this this series of looking at a number of Lewis's works. Um, just as we as we do reflect not only on on this book but all all of the ones we've looked at, reflections on the Psalms. Uh, we started with Pilgrim's Regress, went on to the problem of pain, Screw Tape Letters, Great Divorce, Surprised by Joy. Um, what what do you see as as having been overall Lewis's contribution by writing these works of Christian? apologetics christian discipleship christian devotion what 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 do you think we're left with at, at the end of all of well, this? we're left with a very significant legacy from lewis i mean you know these 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 books are all helpful in their own ways and when you add them to major works like mere christianity or the chronicles of narnia you are very much aware that lewis has left us a legacy which actually hasn't really been rivaled by anybody since then and it's it's not because you know um we are bereft of talented writers from a Christian perspective in the present. It's just that Lewis is so good. But what I think Lewis has done is to encourage and act as an inspiration for others. And I've met, you know, many prominent preachers or writers who said, look, C.S. Lewis is my role model. You know, I'm trying to do what he did, but in a different context, for example, the United States, in a different period, for example, in the 2000s. And, and Lewis kind of is the guy who I'm trying to imitate because he did it so well, but things moved on a bit. So we got to try and respond to that but Lewis actually is the inspiration I think that's a, a very important point you know Lewis in effect creates space for people to try and follow in his footsteps and I think that that is important but he still remains a role model and inspiration for so many people he certainly does and it's just been wonderful to be able to trace Lewis's thinking and own journey through some of the books that we've covered in this season of the podcast Alistair thank you very much 
uh, for being a part of the, the podcast in this new season. Um, uh, and can I remind anyone listening that if you want a really great deep dive into Lewis and his work and life, C.S. Lewis, The Life by Alistair is a wonderful place to start. Um, AlistairMcGrath.net for more of Alistair. And of course, there are a number of other works about Lewis and all kinds of other subjects as well. Science, faith and more besides that you can find from from Alistair himself but for now and until the next season comes upon us Alistair thank you very much for being with me it's been a great pleasure thank you very much for having me thank you for listening this was the final episode in this season looking at some of Lewis's significant Christian apologetic and devotional work so hope you enjoyed today's show and we'll be bringing you more from Alistair next week at the same time but if you want to see Alistair in person uh, if you want to attend online this is really your last chance to book in for unbelievable the conference 2022 god unmuted is our theme if you want to know how to present christ to others in sincere gracious truth-seeking ways then this is the conference for you uh, we would love to see you there either in person at the british library or you can come along online and be part of our uh, many people who are booking from all over the world to be part of this year's conference. Loads of very interactive sessions where we'll help you to find your voice again, uh, to speak life into our culture and to tell our story to uh, a sceptical world. So, so this is a wonderful day uh, and I can really recommend it to you. I will enjoy meeting both online and in person many people attending this year's conference. Again, that's unbelievable.live and the links are with today's show. For now, thanks for being with us and see you next time. <laughs>